Thanks for joining us today here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for this episode comes from the Bent Paddle Brewing Company located in Duluth, Minnesota. And support comes from Paragus Northwoods Company located in Ely, Minnesota. Hi guys, this is Steve from Paragus Northwoods over in Ely. You know, we're really happy to be sponsors of this new and innovative outdoor program on WTIP. We try to be innovative ourselves in our business since we opened the garage doors behind our little Ely house in the summer of 1979. We were selling wood stoves and window quilts back then, but within a year we had switched from cast iron to Kevlar. That made my job a lot easier and our canoe trips a whole lot more fun. At Paragus Northwoods today, we're all about canoeing and wilderness camping. Our store on Ely's Main Street is open every day, year-round. We must have everything a paddler needs because we're really at the end of the road, the last stop before the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Our outfitting department, I believe, is the best you'll find. We use all new canoes and all new gear every summer. We not only rent and outfit, but Nancy and I and our amazing staff, we're all paddlers, and we all take canoe trips into Boundary Waters every summer. Paragus, the store, the catalog, and the canoe trip outfitting are all online at paragus.com. Please stop by when you're in Ely. We're your friends up north at the end of the road, working every day for our customers and to keep our watershed pristine for future generations to enjoy as we have. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it's, it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue Welcome to episode 5 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Great to see you, Joe. Hey, how you doing, Matthew? I'm super pumped. Podcast episode 5 already. I can't believe it's been 5. It's (laughs) flying by, man. It is. Having a great time doing it, too. I'm so excited to be joined today by this iconic name in Boundary Waters travel. He's going to tell us about his happy place. It's Tom Sega. He is a name that uh, definitely many people who have visited the Boundary Waters, who have any connection to Northeast Minnesota, it's a name that jumps out. But in case somebody might not know who he is, who's Tom Sega? Tom Sega is the president and owner of Duluth Pack. Yes. And he's going to share with us his passion, like we all have, for this beloved land. He describes our collective roots and heritage as a wilderness traveling community. And he ties that heritage into the work that he's done and the history of the Duluth Pack Company, which is really cool to hear about. Yeah, and it was also great. Uh, Tom was passing through 
Graham Ray here, where WTIP is located, and he actually uh, paid a visit to the station here, swung through on a, on his way up to a late-season fishing expedition uh, here in 2018, ice fishing expedition, I should point out. And uh, it was great to have him come in and, and meet some of the people here and, and uh, be involved with the podcast, you know? Yeah, and that's why I'm excited to hear from him, because I know he's going to tell us about his favorite gear for every season out in the Boundary Waters. And also his experience of passing his knowledge on to the next generation, which is one of the best parts about being out there. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll look forward to that. We'll get to that interview here in just a minute. But uh, then in part two of episode five, we're going to hear from Stu Osthoff. He's the publisher of the Boundary Waters Journal. That's a magazine, Matthew, that you go to a, a lodge up the Gunflint Trail, the Echo Trail, anywhere in Ely, Grand Marais, or I've seen it down on the shelves in the Twin Cities, you know, on some, in some outdoor shops down there, the Boundary Waters Journal, this uh, magazine that really encompasses uh, life in the Boundary Waters. There's some great essay style. Uh, they do some journalism in there as well on occasion, and excellent photograph, full-page color photos. Uh, it's, it's a well-known magazine and literally called the Boundary Waters Journal, so it's all about the Boundary Waters. And we're going to talk with Stu, the longtime publisher. He started the magazine, and he still writes and contributes. He's also a, a fishing guide up, does some work in the Boundary Waters, Quetico. And so we're going to be here at, since Episode five's kind of launching, you know, here in May. We're going to talk fishing with Stu, and that's something that I've personally have been wanting yeah, to do for many years. It's your favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll hear from Stu in, in uh, Part 2, but before we get to that, let's hear from Tom Sega. And joining us to talk life in canoe country, the gear you use in the Boundary Waters, and what the Boundary Waters is all about. It's Tom Sega. He is the owner and president of Duluth Pack. Tom, thank you so much for swinging by and, and talking with us today. Oh, not an issue at all, Joe. This is very good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So here you are. Um, let's see. It's early spring, late winter, kind of depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, 2018, what brings you up to the Boundary Waters here this time of year, Tom? Well, actually, today I'm heading up the trail right after we're done here and going on my final lake trout fishing trip of the winter okay nice uh, before we get to break up here and and get into uh canoe time of the year so i made sure if i was gonna be coming through grand marais for some reason my truck always has an affinity to pull real hard left when i get to grand marais and head up the gunflint trail so <laughs> yes, i know that feeling and i don't fight the steering wheel at all <laughs> yeah no so we really appreciate this tom that you're, you're able to come by and, and share some uh thoughts on the history of duluth pack and uh just your own experiences in the boundary waters too this trip, uh, you're headed up uh, to the end of the trail primarily, and is that uh, kind of your favorite, you know, destination or where this this magnetic pole that you mentioned leads you to the end of the trail? Is that is that kind of your spot? It it absolutely is. Uh, one of my two happy places on this planet is uh, up off the end of the the Gunflint Trail, and it's uh, the one place I just can really let go of the rat race of every day and and uh, running around and just be able to get in your thoughts and, and uh, be in your happy place where you can snore real loud and not bother a whole lot of people and, and listen to all the sounds and get the smells and hear a wolf howl. And in fact, on the way up here today driving, a timber wolf ran across the road in front of me and boy, the deer are out this morning. So all of that, be able to hopefully see a moose this weekend and uh, up the trail and, and try not to try not to have it run in 
live too close in front of the pickup truck if it's on the trail, but hopefully while we're out on the lake or on some of the trails. So uh, it's just a happy place and a, a place where you can kind of just let things go, and that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, nice. So uh, being the president and owner of Duluth Pack, I mean, it, you're uh, living and breathing what the product is, you know, largely geared toward and, you know, uh, certainly the roots of the company that you aren't just um, – talking about the boundary waters and and you actually get out there and enjoy what the area has to offer i sure do and i'm a very outdoorsy person and uh when you look at duluth pack and and where it came from and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, you know this this country we're in right now uh where we're sitting is what it's all about and where it all started and the roots and all of that and it's our history and it's our heritage and i embrace that fully i i love getting outside and and whether it's sleeping under the stars or sleeping in a cabin as I get older, sometimes that's a little more comfortable. But um, you're still out, you're carrying your bags, you're hiking, and, and I have some favorites, and I can talk about that a little bit, uh, what are some of my personal favorites and why. But um, just for people to get out and let go and, and, uh, and, and do what they love to do. Yeah, nice. Okay, so you mentioned, uh, Tom, about, uh, you know, you're headed up the trail for the last late season ice fishing trip, but uh, how about May and that early, you know, right kind of after the ice is out, fishing opener time of year, do you also get up around that time as well? I absolutely will be, and uh, <laughs> not going to give out the secret haunts, uh, yeah. but I will be yeah, off. Feel free to write that down. Yeah, and, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you can go in my truck and get the maps, because there's a lot of circles on those maps. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I absolutely will be up here and uh, on the opener, and, and it's just, again, getting out now on, uh, instead of on the ice, on the water, and getting out in the, the smells, the sounds, the uh, get and, and get some fish. Yeah. So that's, what do you, what do you, bonus. absolutely. It is. What's uh you lake trout guy, walleye, uh, all, you know, the grand slam kind of approach or what do you go for? In the winter, primarily lake trout, uh, for some reason to have the potential of getting a 15 pound lake trout on the end of a fishing pole through a hole is uh, pretty exciting. I always say, uh, the fun meter pegs out when you have a 15 pound trout on the end of a, a line on, you know, and we don't get them all that big. In fact, uh, sometimes we, uh, I'm pretty good at getting skunk too. So, uh, but even a, a five pound lake trout is a tussle through the ice. So in the winter I'm lake trout. And then once the, the, uh, ice is gone, then it's going to really turn over to walleye. And, and it's been a family thing for us over all these years and, um, and, and out, you know, passing that on to, to my kids as well. Yeah. Awesome. So what's, uh, maybe a trip you made in 2017 or a recent canoe trip that you made in the boundary waters? Did you get out in 2017? I, yes, I did. Uh, and, and one of the very memorable ones, I have some really cool pictures in my office in, uh, about it was my son and I, and it was actually in the Canadian opener. So we went all out up the, the corridor and into the Canadian side and then into the Quetico. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we got a couple spots up there that, uh, are, are not too bad early in the season yeah, nice. and it's uh we could have a lot of fun with some catch and release um have a potential of you know getting one that's a uh, gets pretty large and i did catch last year i did catch the money fish um mm-hmm. on on that trip um which we released yeah and are we talking walleye or what these were walleyes mm-hmm. yep that that trip was uh i got a 27 
and uh and then you know we were catching some slot fish had some fish to eat catch and release just getting out and on that trip we actually never saw another person nice those those are ones to remember yeah. certainly yeah those, um so what are you camping on these uh trips or what's the itinerary typically for your trips these days uh, um, you know I'm both can, i'm getting older so uh sometimes tents with the root sticking up in my back is uh getting a little tougher and and uh we have very very fortunate to have a friend who has a cabin up that direction and we're able to stay there and i'll actually be there this weekend um but uh, i've done i've done more than my share of sleeping on the ground and in a tent and um leaving a little bit of that to the younger people do some more day trips and in and back out that night and sleep a little bit more comfortable but um just to pass that on to the next generation is really important to me and and uh and to see that continue on as as people just kind of try to disconnect a little bit as busy as we are Mm -hmm. yeah so on a trip uh like this you know being that you're the owner president of Duluth Pack what type of packs are you taking on a trip just so people can know what what the owner of Duluth Pack is is taking with him on let's just say a two three night trip you know so in the winter on this trip and then we'll go into the summer trips so on this trip right now I do have one big old Duluth Pack duffel with all my stuff stuffed in it that I'll put in a sled uh, and pull behind on the way in with the snowmobile and then uh and then I have my my all-time favorite is the all-day lumbar pack. It's like an oversized fanny pack with shoulder straps on it, mm-hmm. and pretty much there's not a trip I go on uh, that that that's not with me. That's that happens to be my personal favorite. And then mm-hmm. I I generally have what's called a, a Rambler pack on my back. It's like a lo- little oversized day pack. And those are those are three of my my absolute favorites for like a winter trip like this. Because when I go out for the day, I might just take you know, throw in the back of the snowmobile that all-day lumbar pack, or if we're going a little further, we're going to bring some lunch and stuff, I'll take that wanderer. But on the trip in, everything gets shoved in the big duffel bag. And so I kind of have a system down. Summer, it's not a whole lot different. Um, In the summer, it's going to be a couple of big number four Duluth packs. And if you're portaging in, you can have one on the front and one on the back. And hopefully it's the young guys carrying it now instead of me. Mm -hmm. I'll take the lights. I'll carry the the canoe paddles and the life jackets. (laughs) And, uh, but, but I'm, I really like the number fours because I'm, somebody who overpacks if you're going to go lighter weight you know we have all the different sizes but it's the the standard Duluth packs I mean just the 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 standard packs that have been known for generations that uh, you can put everything in the kitchen sink in they're tough as nails and uh, so those are definitely on every single canoe trip and boating trip it doesn't matter if I'm canoeing or boating those those number fours are going with me and then the old all-day lumbar pack that's that's always at my feet yeah cool and so being that you're the owner of the company Duluth pack do you have you know where like an NBA player for example uh, every different game they put on a new pair of shoes just because they can you know do you have a, a pack that you take with you every time or are you like well I, that one looks good and you can pluck oh, no. that off the shelf or you got your own gear that no, you bring just is, like everyone else no this is my gear before i was with the company cool. i had a lot of this gear already and and again it's 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 built you know i'll say bulletproof but um it's it's built so well with the lifetime guarantee and handcrafted and all that that if you take care of it uh, I'll be passing this on to grandkids someday, um, and it's it's beat up. It's it, it actually looks better. Yeah, it's got that character that you want. All that patina and all those stories that go with it and mm-hmm. whatnot. So, no, this is all my gear. It's not like, hey, here's a new one, and I just want to go grab that and take it. I, 
I've evolved around. No, these are my bags that I take, and this is my this is my gig. Yeah, cool. That's cool, Tom. And so uh, we talked, you know, winter now and early season. Um, are those maybe some of your favorite times, or what's your favorite time of year to be up in the Boundary Waters? You know, to be outside, period, my favorite time, well, anytime I'm outside, of course, right? But that's the easy answer. To answer your question direct is the fall, and I think it has to do with the colors and the smells and you know, the, the grouse that you see and, and everything's changing and it's cool mornings and warm afternoons. And I, it, I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, that, that would fall. I wish that fall was, uh, a couple more months long mm-hmm. uh, and I hear that quite often a lot of us live here because of you know the the distinct weather changes uh, which we all love but um, fall for me is just that really does something for me and when you think of uh, the fall time in the boundary waters any trip from you know years past that just really stands out as I remember this one fall this happened or, or just a, a moment on a fall trip you know it, it's interesting maybe not a fall trip quite as much other than uh, you know, from the fall standpoint, we're, we're, we're trying to pack everything in at the end before it's like, well, this is going to be a a big change coming up here. Uh, one of the funnier stories that I have is that as we've been trying to pass this on from just a, a trip was, uh, a a friend of mine started taking our, and myself started taking our sons. And then as they got older and into high school, they wanted to bring friends. And so we had this one trip where there was myself and, and my friend, and then there was six high school boys. So, I mean, we're talking gear mm-hmm. and we're talking food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, high schoolers, these guys can eat. Uh-huh. And uh, and so we brought all this food and, and we knew they were going to be a bunch of knuckleheads staying up way too late and stuff. So we got a, we got a, a campsite about a mile from them. And we said, okay, here's our food, and you guys take all your food, and we divvied it all up and that. And if you guys need anything, come and find us and, and you know, um, just be good, you know, type of deal. Well, we have like 48 hours left in our trip, and all of a sudden we see all these canoes coming our way. And they'd come over maybe once every other day for this week. And, and they come over, and it's like, well, what do you guys need? And they said, we're out of food. And we're going, bummer (laughs) and they're like can we have some of yours and we're like wow no yeah wow (laughs) we we rationed ours and no we we have our food the two dads and they're like well what are we supposed to do and we said well you know do you have some batter left do you have some oil left we can cook some fish no we ate it all and we're like bummer we got a a nice water pump you guys can live on water for a couple days so here's what we actually did and the kids learned a great lesson we took them out we went out fishing we caught a bunch of walleyes. We went back to their camp, took a pot, got lake water in it, boiled it, and for two days they ate nothing but boiled walleye. <laughs> we would not share our food with them. Yeah. And so after the next couple of years, as they got older, they stopped inviting the dads on the trip. It went from us taking them to all of a sudden, you guys aren't allowed anymore. And so <laughs> after that, I've asked my son every time, do you guys run out of food? He goes, no, we always have way too much. And yeah, so life yeah. lesson learned. They don't want to boil walleye for, <laughs> for two days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a great story. Um, yeah, that's awesome. But so, <laughs> um, you, you know, you've talked about uh, you've, you've got some friends and connections up uh, the end of the trail and you shared, you know, some family stories. It's uh, a mix of, of family and friends when you do your trips to the Boundary Waters or who are you primarily headed out there? with 
It's absolutely both. Um, my son wasn't able to come on this trip. Actually, I talked to the folks that are already up there, and they're like, well, is he coming? And I go, no, you know, he's got to work and stuff. And they're like, oh, that's a bummer. And it's like, well, you know, he's got to work. And, uh, you know, young and getting his career going, so uh, not as much time off as maybe some of us have now. And and uh, so he wasn't able to go. But my son and I are, are, are very close and do a lot of that. My daughter used to uh, do quite a bit of that with us as well as she was growing up. And then she became a little more of a fashionista and went to, went to Los Angeles for a few years and is in Chicago now. But she'll still get outside with us, but uh, probably not as much on the, the long trips. But once she gets married and has kids, maybe that they'll start doing that as well. So yeah. we'll keep that going. And then this trip will be just some friends that we've been friends for you know, 30, 40 years, and, and you just keep doing things together and, and having a lot of fun in the outdoors together. Yeah, nice. So let's talk a little more about the company uh, now, Tom. When, you know, when I say Duluth Pack, I mean, um, there are other companies who have tried to, you know, either imitate or, or uh, kind of have an offshoot of what Duluth Pack is, but it, they still, when you hear Duluth Pack, you're thinking about a canoe bag, you know, a wider backpack as opposed to out west where you're hiking with a backpack, you know. The Duluth pack to me is just is a wider frame, and when I say Duluth pack, sometimes I'm not even referencing the brand, just like what that type style of pack is. What's the separation? What's the difference between a Duluth pack, the company, and Duluth pack, the universal idea of canoe country pack? Or is there a difference? Well, there's not, and there is. And where there's not is we're, we're very we're blessed, and the reason we're blessed is that when you be, can become the Kleenex of canoe packs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a win. There's a big win as a company because you'll be, you know, it could be any brand that somebody has and they go, they go, well, how big is your Duluth pack? But it's not made by us. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll relish in that. We don't, we don't fight that. Um, there's going to be competition out there and that's, that's good for all companies and all markets. So, um, but, but the canoe pack is our history. The canoe packs, our heritage, and we'll never be out of the canoe pack business. And it was designed very specifically to ride low in a canoe, ride low on your back so that, you know, in the, in the canoe, the, the center of gravity was low. And that's a good thing when you're canoeing, you don't want that high. It also rode low on your back so that when you had a, a big pack full of your gear, you can also put a canoe on your shoulders. Because if you took a frame pack, you can't carry a canoe when you have a frame pack on. Plus, trying to put one in a canoe is is like putting a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. And so we we were the original. I mean, we are Duluth Pack, and this is something we're very proud of. We are the oldest canvas and leather pack and bag maker in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. There's not another company that can say that. Nice. That is just that's just there's some meat behind that. There's some uh, horsepower behind that, mm-hmm. and it all started with the canoe packs. And from Camille Poyer, so um, you know, you know, that's that's just a history and a heritage that's that's priceless. Yeah, and th- this is a hundred and thirty-six years ago now, right? That yeah. the company that this uh, is that when the patent was was implemented or, or December twelfth, eighteen eighty-two. Okay, uh, <laughs> so we know the day. We yeah. actually have the patent in our in our office in our factory and uh, have it framed. Um, and and it, it is. And and to be honest. Nothing has changed mm-hmm. from the standpoint of design and functionality of a canoe pack today versus 136 years ago. When you hit a home run, 
there's really no reason to change it. Now we have a lot more styles today of different canoe packs because people said, well, I'd like to tweak this a little. I'd like to tweak that a little. That one's too big. This one's too small. I like an envelope versus a gusseted pack. I'd like to have, you know, the tump line, which we are the first ones to have the tump line. Uh, actually, it was, it was originally, it was the Voyagers. Who, who had the tump lines. They didn't even put shoulder straps on their packs. They just carried them across the tump line, across the, you know, up high on the forehead mm-hmm. and carried it there because it, what it did is it, it, al- it aligned your spine. And a lot of people actually don't know how to use that tump line properly. And they think that, oh boy, that thing just hurt, it could hurt my neck, it could hurt my back. And actually it's easier to carry with it. And people just need to learn how to use that, that tump line. And they should use it in conjunction with the shoulder, the shoulder pads or the shoulder straps, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, nice. And, and so how did you uh, get involved with the company, Tom? Like what's your roots with this, you know, company that has uh, more than a century, you know, of, of experience and credibility in the Boundary Waters? How did you get involved? So mine is a pretty quonky story because it didn't have anything to do with canoe packs. It's not uh, some heroic uh, trip you took. It, and, it, uh... I'd love to tell you a story, but uh, <laughs> I can't tell you one like that. It, it's actually kind of an interesting story as I, I had a career for many, many years where I, I traveled extensively. Well, and and, and it, I also do today. But uh, when, when you travel that much, I, I always say you kind of become a little bit of a travel snob. And that is you are in hotel after hotel and airport after airport, rental cars, all this stuff. And you get really persnickety on your gear. Well, I had a bad experience with some very expensive briefcases at one time, a briefcase, and and I just got frustrated after I was spending money, you know, every six months on expensive gear. And so I I said, I'm going to the Duluth Pack store and I'm going to buy a a really good briefcase because I hear they build good stuff. And this is 20 plus years ago, something in that range. And I still use that same briefcase today. Nice. Um, that briefcase has, I, so I don't know, 1.5 million Delta Airline miles <laughs> on it. And I mean, and, and it, it's one of those things where once it becomes part of you. I fell in love with that bag and I'm like, wow, this company builds great stuff. And then I'm an avid hunter and I bought some gun cases. And then it was my kids were very young and in, in grade school. And I said, well, I, you know, we every six months we have to replace their backpacks uh, because they're, they're just not built well. And so I told my wife, hey, let's go down to the Duluth Pack store and get the kids' backpacks. I think one was in second grade, one was in fourth grade. They're now 25 and 23 years old, and they still carry the same backpacks. Went to, off to college with them, and they still carry them as professionals. And it's just a, a testament, a tribute to the, the quality. So during all of this, I'm, I'm like, wow, this company builds the greatest stuff I've ever seen in their markets. But nobody knows about it. Mm-hmm. And so I just got really intrigued and, and approached them and said, hey, would you guys be interested in selling your company? And I was told to go away. And for me, go away meant, wow, um, I just haven't done enough research on my end to get them to agree with me. Mm-hmm. And three years of persistence. And when I say persistence, it was crazy. Uh, I wouldn't go away. And I kept coming back and back and back. And finally, it's like, all right, you're not going away. What's the gig here? And and it's like, I, I think this is a diamond in the rough. I think that this thing could get some major legs, but nobody knows about it. It's a small little regional company. And it deserves to be bigger because the, the gear, what is made here by these awesome people in northern Minnesota, mm-hmm. the history, the heritage, the lifetime guarantee, that's too powerful to just hide it and keep it a little regional company. We need to make this bigger and better. And don't change 
the things you already do great, and that is manufacture awesome bags, make it here, make it the old way that we always made it, but just let more people know about it because people are looking for great gear. They just don't know about it. Mm-hmm. After three years, we put a deal together, and I came in, and, and you know, it was tough. It was a, it was a fledgling, little, struggling company, and uh, we worked hard to turn it around, and, and we went through some difficult times. I came in April Fool's Day of 07, mm-hmm. and so it'll be 11 years coming up in a couple weeks, and, uh, and, and we made it through the tough times because we are uh, an expensive premium product. We know that. We don't shy away from it. We're actually proud of it because we'd like to be in that premium market. And when the economy got tough, people, you know, pulled their belts back. And and, uh, and so we struggled like everyone else. And then now uh, it's Katie bar the door. Uh, we're having fun. We, uh, for several years, we've shipped to all seven continents, including Antarctica. The people at McMurdo Weather Station love our stuff. Yeah, nice. And, uh, and we have distributor in, in Europe. We have a distributor in, in uh, Tokyo, Japan. Um, we have rep groups around the United States selling to to brick and mortar stores, uh, boutique type stores, and then we do a lot of private label. And so from we're firing on all, all eight cylinders and, and production is in the same old building since 1911. On um, Superior Street. It is. Yeah. It and, is. and so now you've got the, the retail shop in Canal Park. And um, do you still get people? I mean, you've talked about this expansion. You've got, uh, you know, briefcase, travel bags, um, all kinds of stuff, merchandise, clothing. Um, do you still get people coming in the retail shop in Canal Park looking to talk about the Boundary Waters and that are just curious about routes and information about the Boundary Waters? Absolutely. Uh, one of the cool things we are is we're a cooperator. So we actually are the largest cooperator for the, the uh, Park Service for uh, permits mm-hmm. to the Boundary Waters. And so we get educated every year. Um, we have people go through the, the process of the uh permitting our people get trained on doing it but we also have maps out that have favorite routes of our employees so they can help people and people might be new to it and go well i i want to put in here but where do you go and we have some really knowledgeable people that can help them and and whether it's getting the permit getting the route educating them on how to do it what to do right don't do this don't do that they can really help them out and educate them and then also they can help them with gear like it could be water filters, it could be a new paddle, it could be a canoe anchor that's a lightweight canoe anchor. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And and it's not all about selling them something, it's about the experience. Yeah. And that's what the brick and mortar store is all about in Canal Park. Yeah, cool. So, you you know, you've mentioned this growth of the company and international, but it's still U.S. made, U.S. product. And is it, uh, is it important to you to have that connection to the Boundary Waters that it's still you still have people coming in wanting to talk canoeing and, and Gunflint Trail, Ely? You know, there's still that connection to kind of the roots of the company? It, it, it's very important because it's our history and it's our heritage. That's where we came from. And, and, and yes, we do all of these other things, but it's because of the Boundary Waters. It's because of the canoe pack business that we were founded, and that's our foundation. And we have a strong foundation because of that. And then we listen to our customers who love our canoe packs and go, my grandpa carried them, my dad carried them, I carry them. But goodness, could you make me a briefcase that's just as good as the canoe pack? And you hear that a few times, or could you make totes, or could you make purses, or could you make this? It's canvas and leather. It's not that difficult. So we listen to the customers. So it all comes from our roots and our foundation of the canoe pack business. And then it's just offshoots into different verticals that customers 
want this stuff. So somebody in Alabama may never know us for a canoe pack, even though that is our foundation and we will never get away from it. You go in our store, it's all about experience. It's all about outdoors. It's all about, you'll see the old canoe packs on the walls with the stories and, and on our website and all of that. And so we never lose sight of who we are, what our foundation is and what got us to where we are today. All right, cool. Well, Tom, I know you got a fishing trip uh, lined up, so you're, you're anxious to get going. But last, uh, last thought would be your dream trip, where are you going, how many days, and who are you going with? Uh, definitely going with family and friends. Definitely five days to unplug mm-hmm. to the first couple days for all of us who have busy lives to unwind before you really can get unplugged. Um, I would probably put it on Sagnagons and, uh, and just fishing when I feel like it sitting by the fire when I feel like it, staring at the stars when I feel like it, or napping for an afternoon <laughs> underneath the sun on a rock yeah. and, and truly unwinding. So that's really, that's, that's that Zen period. That's that uh, thing that, that we all deserve to do is get into our happy place. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, Tom, if I ever have the, the good fortune of, of going on a canoe trip with you, I'd love to try some of your boiled walleye. <laughs> You can eat the boiled walleye. I'll keep it and and cook it with some flavor to it. (laughs) All right. We've been talking with Tom Siga. He's the owner and president of Duluth Act. Tom, thanks so much. Joe, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Man, that guy really eats and sleeps this stuff. Duluth Pack, uh, it's so cool when you hear, you know, we've spoke with a few people now, Matthew, who produce gear, manufacture gear that have a direct connection to the Boundary Waters, to hear when they're not just, you know, doing it just to sell a product, that they also have such a passion for this area, the Boundary Waters. Exactly. I mean, it's evident in his personal life and in his business life and his practice. And, you know, just, I feel this kindredness with him because you know i want the reach of the boundary waters to be as extensive as he wants you know his company to be and sharing that love and that quality of the experience so you know i i just think it's really cool uh especially what spoke to me most is that part about unplugging right there at the end um that's i think what we all go out there to do and it takes time to get the clutter out of the mind but when you do you have the freedom just to go with whatever you want in the moment. And for a lot of people out there, what they're gonna go for is chasing the fish. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, so what better way to kick off the chase than learning all about, I mean, in-depth fishing knowledge uh, for starting this season off. And it's been a hard late winter the lines between winter and spring have become awfully blurry, and season's going to probably start as soon as the ice is out. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a pretty long, uh, you know, April can be in an interesting month to get out and, and fish in the Boundary Water. Seasons aren't open this year, as you mentioned, with the ice and um, not even knowing if it'll be out on the opener, and it uh, just gets people kind of get the jitters. And, oh, total and, and jitters. In fact, you know what, Matthew? I just I can't even take it anymore, dude. I'm <laughs> I'm out of here, dude. Wait, I'm wait. I'm sorry. You're you're on your own this no, time, Joe. We got. I mean, I, Joe. I'm out of here, dude. I gotta go fish. <laughs> okay. All right. 
well, I'm I'm short a co-host, but uh, I guess the passion has spoken and the Boundary Waters are calling. So uh, let's go ahead and jump to our interview with Stu Ostoff. Uh, I am stoked because he is an indisputable expert on fishing canoe country. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you all that this wouldn't be happening without our awesome sponsors. And on that note, we've been able to connect with some amazing companies that are stoked about the Boundary Waters, one of which is a sponsor in part of today's episode, and that's Bent Paddle Brewing Company. This Minnesota original is a 30-barrel production craft brewery and a public tap room located in Duluth, just down the shore from the Boundary Waters. Bent Paddle makes quality craft beer using Lake Superior water. Its mission is to brew craft beer with a concentration on sustainability for its business, employees, and the environment. As of April 2018, Bent Paddle has new tap rooms in Duluth's emerging Lincoln Park Craft District. Make a stop before your trip to the Boundary Waters and pick up a stainless steel growler to enjoy at camp, or swing through for a Bent Hop Golden IPA or any of the brewery's signature beers following a trip to Canoe Country. Allow Bent Paddle to be the bridge that keeps good memories and conversation flowing when you're reflecting on that perfect campsite or the splendor of the northern lights. For more information, visit bentpaddlebrewing.com or call 218-279-2722. Bent Paddle Brewing is proud to support the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness and this podcast. So let's get to that interview with Stu. The Boundary Waters Journal is a magazine published in Ely, Minnesota, right on the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. It's a publication that has fans in pretty much every state across the country, as well as dipping into international waters. Many live vicariously through the stories that are shared in the Boundary Waters Journal, and it's become a staple to represent all things that are life in canoe country. Joining us now on the phone is Stu Osthoff. He's the publisher of the Boundary Waters Journal. Stu, great to talk with you on the podcast here today. Yeah, same to you, Joe. Joe has actually uh, contributed a few articles to the magazine over the year, but I've never actually <laughs> talked to him, so that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I have I've really uh, have enjoyed the magazine and definitely been proud to contribute, as, as you mentioned, over the years. So uh, great to definitely connect with you. And, you know, Stu, if you could tell us a little bit about the Boundary Waters Journal. Uh, how did the magazine come to be and, and maybe even how it's changed over the years? Sure. Um, so, like, when I got out of high school, my next-door neighbor in Madison, Wisconsin, happened to work for an Ely Outfitter, got me a job, and I went back there working for them every summer all through eight years of college. When I graduated, I got the job running the Ely Chamber of Commerce, of all things, and that's where I got the idea to publish a magazine about the area. So we started it in 1987. I was always that first little kid into the school library in grade school to read Outdoor Life, Feel the Stream, and Sport the Field. Those were the only three outdoor magazines around in those days. And I think maybe that set the stage for something, I don't know, but I uh, always loved reading about the outdoors and being out there. So 
this was a way for me to make a living sharing what I know and love about the wilderness canoe and camp and fish and hunting the whole deal. Yeah, nice. And, and you also, you know, in addition to being the publisher, you have a, a recurring, uh, you know, a column of sorts or, or a, a part of the magazine is you write it. Uh, did you have an interest in writing as, as in addition to just no, your passion? No real professional training, and my two of my sons do have that. And they let me know about it on a regular basis. <laughs> sure, sure. So I kind of write an informal way, the way you would say it around the campfire is sort of my style, kind of a conversational pitch. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. Sure. And and so how about the, you know, moving into what I was talking about, your column or, or your featured segments are often about your trips that you've done, the guiding service and trips that you lead people into the Quetico and, you know, through the Boundary Waters area. But um, how how did that uh, come to be? Was that before then or after the magazine launch that you were doing the guided? Well, I did guide for the Outfitters back way back when, but then for 20-something years as we had a family, we would do just the family and friends trips just like most people. Uh, so I did not guide for ages. And then we also, I married into the sled dog racing racket on top of it, so that was like a full-time job tying me down in the summer, too. So in 2008, when the kids were on to other things and the dogs were gone, uh, I got back into it serious about guiding full-time. So since then, I've, I spend all of uh, May, June, and July in Quetico guiding eight-day trips. In August, I go up to the Sutton River on the Hudson Bay and guide canoeing trips for brook trout. And then in September, I guide the archery elk season in Colorado, and I come back to the Boundary Water side in October, November. So that's kind of my schedule. Well, let's talk some fishing, uh, Stu, if if, we, if you can, and, and tell us a little bit about uh, you know early season fishing and, and start here in May. Um, you know, what's your what's your approach? Let's say you're going out either on a guided trip where you're leading people, or you're just going to catch some fish for your own you know personal reasons and, and gratification and so forth. Uh, What's going to be your approach in May? I have zero interest in driving into a lake and fishing anymore. Even though I'm a fishing guy, it's that wilderness atmosphere of fishing in the B-Dub and the, and the Quetico. The fact that there's no cabins, roads, or boats, and you got tons of water, the, the Grand Slam variety, and real trophy caliber fishing, that's very rare these days. So... I just love the challenge and thrill of that wilderness setting, paddling and portaging into the backcountry to do my fishing. You can fish a lot of different places, but that's what's so cool about the canoe country. I still love it after 40 years. I just can't get enough of it. So, you know, I'm kind of spoiled on that in that regard, but I leave the drive-in fishing to everybody else. Um, and then the other thing is only a third of the canoe trippers going out into the Boundary Waters are really serious anglers anymore, very different from like 70% 40 years ago. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Um, if you want to talk species uh, one at a time, you want to start with lake trout? Yeah, yeah, let's do it, man, yeah. <laughs> um, lake trout, it looks like a late spring. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want for lake trout. Now, see, I can fish lake trout even as soon as the water is open in Quetico in Canada. Mm-hmm. But I've kind of gotten gun-shy about starting too early 
And so I start like May twentieth this year. Hopefully, we'll have ice out by then. But yeah, sure. It doesn't look great right now. But the the appeal of lake trout early season is yes, they're shallow. They're actually a fall spawner, so they're not coming in to spawn or anything. But they prefer that fifty degree water, so that means it's anywhere. You know, when it's forty degree water, then they come in shallow. So I typically just troll a, what I call a number 285 doctor spoon in chrome, and it's heavy enough to get down 30, 40 feet without any additional weight and, and all kinds of paraphernalia on your line. I can catch more fish on a crankbait, like a Rapala, tail dancer, 30-footer, but you won't catch as many big trout, and I'm more interested in catching a few big ones. Those three-foot-plus lake trout on light tackle in a canoe there is nothing more fun than that up here to fish so it's a lot of trolling per you know to get one of them fish but it's worth it i really love it actually i kind of quit on the lake trout thing by the time midsummer comes they're pretty deep it's really stressful for catch and release fishing then so this is the time right away for for my lake trout nice yeah how about uh you know Another species that uh, I know is a favorite of yours, uh, smallmouth. What, what about them early in the year? Or do you kind of have to, you know, wait till June like like the rest of us? Um, well, and historically they're hitting great by late May. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, you know, the funny thing about smallmouth is that they are the number one marketing fish anymore. Um, I think that a recent Quetico angler survey found that. It's almost an even now, 40% walleye, 40% bass as the number one target species, and that's a big change over 40 years ago, too. Mm-hmm. But the irony is that smallmouth are actually an invasive species. They're, they wouldn't even be allowed to be stocked in this day and age, and they're my number one favorite thing. But the reason I like them is just has a lot to do with the behavior of the smallmouth. You can hunt them. In other words, it's super visual. You just, I, as the guide, I'm paddling real slow in the back of the canoe, and my bow angler is just throwing his usually top water plug to those big bass layers. It could be a log, a patch of weeds, a boulder, a ledge, an inlet, or even a spawning bed. Um, it's just very visual. The, the bass love that shallow water zone, and they're super aggressive and hard fighting. So, you know, it, it's just this time of year, they are coming into spawn. They are a spring spawner. So from late May to early June, you can just go all day. That's the cool thing. So I call it like a run-and-gun strategy, set up camp. On an eight-day trip, fish two days, day tripping hard out of that camp. We'll go five, ten miles a day because the fishing, the big fish are active, shallow all day long. You can do that. As the season wears on, you're only going to get small bass in tight to the shore during the heat of the day. And so you're reduced to fishing bigger fish when they're more active early and late in the day. So early season um bass is is the best time of the year for that not right away but like we say early june is a good thing what i do because small medium and large lakes warm up on a different schedule i'll exploit that 
evolution of the season, so to speak. So starting with small lakes that are warmest first and going on. So I can I can milk the bass spawn for three plus four weeks um, by doing that. That's a good strategy for people to remember. Go small water if you're looking for bass early, and then go bigger after later. Yeah, cool. And and what uh, type of strategy you fishing top water? I read you like to fish top water is kind of your your go to yeah, method. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of fishing them deep with plastics, but that's a great way to go for big fish, especially in July. I like the top water thing. Uh, we found I've been a popper guy forever. You know, have everything known to Bass Pro in my boxes, but. Two years ago, they came out what's called a Whopper Plopper. I don't know if you've seen that. Well, yeah, I read about you. Yeah, I read it's your column torpe- about it. The head and torpedo with that little blade, it's kind of that principle in the water, but the whole back third of this lure rotates. It's a topwater plug, plastic plug. It creates a churn and plume of bubbles and, and sound. And it's a lot easier to work than a popper, so people that don't have a lot of experience with it, I can give them that, and they can be hitting fish right away. We had so much fun with that thing last year. The pike got the only ones I had, but this year we're stocked up to the gills with them, and they came out with a lot of new colors and bigger sizes. So Whopper Plopper, the, the actual brand is River, the number two, and then C, River to C. And I've been getting mine um, at Cabela's, but they're going to be showing up all over. Uh, they were a big thing down at the sports show last weekend. Yeah. So if, if you love that visual style of fishing on top, you got to get some of them and try them this year. Yeah, cool. And, and then, Stu, changing gears, you know, I've, I've read uh, over the years, I've, I've, of course, read about your passion for smallmouth, but I've also picked up on a a lack of enthusiasm for a certain species that, that many people, you know, are covet when they come up to the boundary waters is is walleye and and it seems like that's maybe not your your favorite well, fish. Well, in Minnesota walleye's king and I don't see it ever changing, but one thing to I could point out is in Quetico where I'm guiding most of the summer, you can't use live bait. A lot of the walleye angler crowd gave up on Quetico and has moved down to the BWCA for that very reason. So that's made it tougher to catch walleye up in Quetico. We, we kind of rely on crankbaits and soft plastics and the gulp and impulse-type scented baits more. I mean, that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. So that's made it tougher. But I've caught a lot of big walleye over the years, and... They are challenging, but they have a lot of power. They kind of have a bad reputation. Smaller walleyes aren't the greatest fight in the world. But a big walleye has a lot of power, and they are fun, but they're hard to come by. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but typically walleye fishing up there, we're talking about slow trolling. They're notoriously picky about hitting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, weather sensitive, light sensitive and the no live bait, it's just harder to come up with a lot of action consistently. You still can't beat a walleye in the frying pan, but in terms of sport fishing, they just don't do it for me anything close to bass, and that's the way most of my people that I guide feel, too. Yeah, and is that, um, do, they, do you ever get people that call you up or, or inquire about a trip and say, 
we want to catch walleye and that's what we're coming to do. And, and if they do, what's your response to that? We, you know, I call it Grand Slam Guide Service because we fish all four of the main species, smallmouth, walleye, pike, and trout. But, um, you know, there, I would customize the route to take them to my best walleye spots, but we would fish bass and, and pike around that. As you get into later June and July, my run and gun strategy changes to what I call camping on the fish. So for trophy walleye, the best hour of, well, the last hour of the day from sundown till dark, dark is worth the rest of the day put together in terms of fishing. So by camping close by and fishing right on those honey holes till dark is the way we get big walleyes. Yeah, cool. And, and Stu, you mentioned the Grand Slam, uh, this this approach, this idea of catching the, the four. That'd be lake trout, smallmouth, walleye, and pike. Uh, that's a term that I now just use as a common language or a way to summarize, you know, hey, did you get the Grand Slam while you were out? And did that is that a term that you coined, or what? what's yeah. the origin of that? Well, I grew up a big baseball player, so people know it from that, of sure. course. But it's also, um, because I'm a big hunter, I think I more or less stole it from the the phrase. It's called the Grand Slam of sheep in North America. There's four different species of mountain sheep in in North America, and I'm into that. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of where I borrowed yeah. the term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, I think uh, people associate it with you in the magazine. So yeah. you know, more power to you on that. Uh, well, just grand slam like a bass slamming your lure just seemed to fit. Yeah, yeah, nice, cool. Well, so, uh, you know, we've mentioned about your trips and your columns, and a lot of it is geared around the guiding service, but uh, do you still get to get out and, and just recreate or fish more casually in the Boundary Waters? Sadly, no. Uh-huh. Since 2008, I've done zero trips with family and friends, so... You know, I, I take my personal time for turkey hunting and pheasant hunting in South Dakota and the elk archery thing and then Boundary Waters deer and grouse hunting. So mm-hmm. I don't guide uh, hunting as much, so I, I get to do that more myself. Yeah, and is that something you'd like to maybe in the, ne- the next decade I or two? I to get my family and friends back in. I can't do this guiding for pay forever, but hopefully there'll be time left to reconnect with my kids as they get settled in their lives and want to come and do this i guess my daughter who's in college is going to do a boundary waters canoe trip this this summer so that's cool yeah nice so with the magazine uh you know i mean do you get inquiries from people just asking general questions about the region and and if or you know fishing and camping i mean what types of questions do you get from people who read your magazine oh yeah um we get a lot of questions about routes, you know, helping people plan route during the winter. Mm-hmm. And one of the services, by subscribing to the magazine, you can purchase maps or send your maps to me, and I'll mark up specifically where to fish, where the best campsites are, what the portages are like, etc. Mm-hmm. So that trip planning service is one way they can tap into my experience. Fishing, we get a lot of, you know, how, when, and where to do that of all the species. So, you know, a lot of people know a lot about the Boundary Waters, but they're not really willing to share it for fear of competition or whatever. Mm-hmm. I I owe this area so much for my life and livelihood. I I really love giving back to people. 
And I've run into people on my fishing holes that, you know, I have recommended that they go there, but I just laugh when that happens. It's not often. There's so much water out there, I just move on to another place. (laughs) But that's that's kind of funny. But I get a lot of questions on equipment, you know, what gear is best for out there. Um, Because I really know what works. There's nothing like living out of a pack sack to figure out, you know, (laughs) what's going to perform. Sure. Um, And then a lot of questions. I never eat freeze-dried, even on eight-day trips. So I get a lot of questions on how I pack real fresh food with ice and portage it all week and stuff like that. Those are kind of some of the more common areas that I get asked. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. So, uh, what what do you have in in store here for? Let's just say, you know, either in the next few years or or maybe you know, looking ahead ten years. What what do you have in store for you and the magazine? I just keep it going. I mean, we're what since eighty seven we started it, so this is our thirty first year. Just keeping it going. The magazine quality has always been good, but I would argue it's better than ever now with all the you know, digital photography and and all of the relationships we've established with so many experts over the years. So, you know, I feel good and proud about where we're at. It's just the the demographics and the decline in wilderness recreation. That's the one scary part from both a business standpoint and because I know and love it and nothing's enriched my life more than that wilderness experience or chasing after it anyway. Uh, well, so yeah, this has been uh, great to connect with you, Stu, and and really appreciate you know your your talking on fishing and, and camping and life in canoe country and and uh, been enjoying the magazine like I said and, and hope to continue to do so for a long time. So thanks a lot for talking with us on the podcast, Stu. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and um, there's so much to learn about fishing in the wilderness area. It's a lifelong process, but you know the challenge and the fun of it. It's it, it, it's just. It never gets old for me. Well, there you have it, straight from the guide himself. The evolution of fishing throughout the season and how to target the right fish at the right time. I hope Joe is having some luck putting it to use. Paddling has been the thing in my dreams this last month. I better sign off on episode 5 and go find Joe. But thanks to both Paragus and Bent Paddle for their support on this episode. And most of all, thanks to you, our listeners. Don't forget to email your story ideas to bwcapodcast at gmail.com. Your emails keep us going. Thanks for listening to the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I just sing when I paddle through. Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light